ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Borei Pri Hagahafen Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ba'eli Madonai Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh Norate Hilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtecha, babethcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu le totafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah, and welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, this Shabbat, we are at the final portion uh, in the book of Leviticus. Uh, we are at uh, chapter 26, beginning of verse 3, and the, Torah, the in the Hebrew, this is the one Hebrew title for the portions I have always for some reason, I got some kind of mental block uh, about trying to pronounce this particular name of this Sedra portion. Bakukotai. That, that, that's my best shot at it. Now, how close that is to what it really is, you'll have to sort that out later. That's all I'm going to say about it. It is the words, the Hebrew words, if you walk in my statute, if you walk. And so let's kind of encapsulate this portion as compared to everything that we've been reviewing about the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is the instructions of the priests. And the priests were instructed to do the service in the temple. They were also instructed to teach the people about the difference between clean and unclean, between the holy and the profane. Uh, and and to explain how uh, certain uh, things are to be maintained, specifically how to be holy before the Lord. And so the book has been covering all those kinds of things, going through all the different variations and explanations, how to keep the feast festivals of the Lord, when you're supposed to come and worship the Lord for the community festivals, how to do the Shemitah years, how to do the Jubilee, all of, all of these instructions that are centered around the temple and the temple service for the children of Israel. Now we come to this last portion, and all of a sudden Moses is going to shift here. And in fact, there's a little bit of controversy within Jewish circles about what he does here because he very sternly, lays out the, the, this, this spiritual theorem, I'm going to call a spiritual truth, about the following. If you obey the Lord, it will be better for you. If you disobey the Lord, it's not going to be good for you. If you don't get your act together with God, you're not going to live and it's going to get real serious. It's going to get down to black and white. It's going to get down to life and death. And so what Moses does here, he starts out kind of on the good note. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall do all these things for you. I will give you rain in your seasons. The land will produce its produce. Uh, 
The trees will do what they're supposed to do. They'll bear fruit. In fact, your gathering of grapes will be so great that you won't run out of the other stuff before you've got new, that your wheat will come in and you won't run out of the old wheat before you have the new. And, and he talks about good things happening if you walk in my statutes. It's a little bit like if you are good citizens and you obey the laws of the land, things will go well in your neighborhood and in your cities and your towns. That, that, that's essentially what he's saying. And he says, he also adds this, verse 12, I will also walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. In other words, the relationship between you and God will be at an optimal level. You obey the Lord, your relationship with the Lord is excellent. You don't obey the Lord, curses come your way, and your relationship with God goes the wrong way. Now, we all have this simple concept about us. You know, and in fact, in the more modern world, if you, if you do what God says, you go to heaven. If you don't do what God says, you go to hell. Well, that's essentially what this teaching is. In, in a nutshell, Moses is laying out that, that expression. And the basis of where we get that whole thought comes from this portion. Now, that was the argument of all the good stuff that would happen. The, what follows in our Torah portion was, and it begins at verse 14, where he says, but if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you do things like you reject my statutes, you begin to abhor and dislike my commandments and instructions. You treat them with disdain. Of no no profit to you whatsoever, and you don't carry out the commandments, and then as a result you break my covenant. If you do that, he says, then the following things are going to happen to you. And verse sixteen, he talks about. He says, I will appoint over you sudden terror, consumption, and fever. You will get sickly. You'll be in fear. Bad things will suddenly, they'll, they'll happen, and they'll suddenly happen to you. Then he goes further. Verse 18, he says, if after these things you do not obey me, then I will bring seven times on you your sin. Wow. The first one was bad enough. Now he's going to do it seven times more. So, if you, in other words, and, and what follows in this chapter are a series of thresholds. God says, if you decide to go the wrong way, uh, at this threshold, this is the way I'll treat you. If you go further, I will do this to you. If you go even further than that, this is going to happen to you. And essentially, this chapter is basically saying, all the bad things are going to happen to you if you de decide to behave in this way. It's just short of hell. You're still on the earth, but you might as well go ahead and go to hell. I mean, that's how bad it is. And it's very severe, very tears. And uh, 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 within, I can tell you, within Judaism, they wince a little bit when they read how direct Moses is here. This is real old, fire, uh, you know, firestorm, uh, what's, what's the word? Firestorm and, and judgment, you know, 
Say again. Brimstone. Brimstone. I mean, we're talking serious stuff, spiritual stuff here. And um, of which, you know, most people don't like to hear that kind of preaching. Honestly. I mean, you know, not only do Christians not like to hear it, but Jews don't like to hear it. People, people don't like to hear it. Tell me the good things. Don't tell me the bad things. By the way, one of the prophecies at the end of the age is that we won't listen to good sound instruction and won't listen to the warnings of the Lord. Just, just tell me good things. Just tell me things that tickle my ear and are entertaining and pleasant to me. And it bothers me greatly when I look at some of the national level Christian teachers and they won't get serious and they won't explain to the people if you fail to obey the Lord, this is what's going to happen to you. And that's part of the reason why we also live in a world that criminals are not afraid of punishment. We don't tell criminals, you're really going to be punished. This is what we're going to do to you. Instead, we live in a world where we don't quite deal with, we all want to be doing good. And so everybody's wrong. And so let's be nice to even the criminals. And let's not exact justice on anybody. And, and, and by the way, God, God's, God loves me. God, God's not going to judge me. Boy, is that a falsehood. I don't care if you're a saint. If you disobey the Lord, you will be accountable to the Lord. He will hold everyone accountable. The, the, the God himself has defined himself by saying the guilty will not go unpunished. And his, and his punishment will extend even to the third and fourth generations to get you um, from it. We, we don't like to hear that word anymore. We don't like to hear this word here. Now, what Christianity has done with this passage is they've concluded then, this is the reason why Israel doesn't exist anymore. Israel got to the point, they disobeyed the Lord so much, and so God kicked Israel out of the land. They're done with Israel, and now God is now working with the church. But unlike Israel, which is subject to punishments, we have the grace of God in the church. Therefore, he's with us forever. I mean, they literally espouse it. I grew up in that. I grew up being told by my teachers that uh, the law of Moses, all of those punishments, those judgments, all those commandments, and all that kind of stuff. That isn't anymore. You know, you know, Jesus came, did away with all of that, right? And so now we have the grace of God, we have forgiveness, and we're all going to heaven. Even if you sin, you're still going to get forgiven, and you're going to go to heaven. And, and they lay this on people. Only they don't finish reading what else Moses had to say here. Moses doesn't just lay these two issues out. He doesn't just lay out the issue of the fact that if you do good, you'll get blessing. If you do bad, you'll get cursed. He talks about prophetically that Israel will make this mistake. He was telling the future generations, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go in the land. You're not going to listen to the instructions I gave you. You're going to reject the commandments. You're going to break the covenant that God has made with us. You're going to misbehave. You're going to walk away from the Lord. You're going to turn your back on him. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to turn his back on you, and he's going to kick you out of the land and scatter you into all the nations of the world. 
and he will no longer show in his face toward you, you'll not receive any more compassion from him. And he said, at that point, the reason why that will happen is because you will have gotten so far that you will have acted with hostility against me, God. Now, we know for a fact it's history. When the Son of God came to do the work of redemption, the children of Israel, under the leadership of the nation of Israel, rejected him. And they condemned him. And they turned him over to be killed, to be executed. And they were hostile toward him, and they harmed him. Well, we also know the story about he came up out of the grave. He was victorious over death. So what do you think his attitude is toward those that rejected him? He'll tell you what it is. You're not going to live in my promised land anymore. I'm kicking you out of the land. Guess what happened in 70 A.D.? The enemies of Israel came in and destroyed the temple. The uh, captivity of Judah began in 160 A.D., and from that point on, Israel was scattered into all the nations of the world. Here we are, scattered in all the nations of the world. So is that the end of the story? The answer is no, that's not the end of the story. God knew all this was going to take place. And here, it, even in Leviticus, Moses concludes this whole thing by saying the following. Uh, verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness, which they have committed against me and also in their acting with hostility against me, I was also acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they may make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land for the land shall be abandoned by them and shall make up for its Sabbaths while it made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, shall be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. What, what commandment did they reject? There's a particular commandment they rejected. They wouldn't keep the Shemitah, the Sabbath year. They continued to harvest. They wouldn't do what the Lord said with regard to it. And so he's kicked them out of the land so the land gets its rest without them being on the land and tilling the land. So it turns out that that sabbatical year thing is pretty important to God. That's the basis. That's, that's the commandment. He says whether you're going to live in the land or not live in the land. You're not going to live in the land if you don't give the land its rest. Every seven years you give it its rest. If you're not going to keep that, you're not going to have the benefit of living in the land. And as a result, you won't be under my covering, have my compassion, all my blessings, and so forth. And I won't be walking with you. Pretty severe. Now, i got to share with you in my own personal testimony, and I've shared this many times before, um, nobody ever taught me verse 40. I was told by all of my previous Christian teachers, there was Israel. Israel had the law, you know, had all the commandments. 
Israel would have lent, they disobeyed the Lord, they didn't do it, and God said, that's it, I'm done with Israel, and by the way, when I'm done with Israel, and, and so forth, I'm also done with the law that I made. We're going to get rid of all of it. I'm going to start over with, uh, with the Messiah and with the church. The church is now going to be God's economy. It's going to replace everything that God was doing with Israel. That's over and done with. Now we're uh, dealing with the church. And nobody ever told me there was a provision here that said Israel could return. It's, it, it's pretty simple. It says, if they will confess their iniquity, the iniquity of their forefathers and their unfaithfulness, if Israel will change and realize what we've been doing in the past and turn away from it and turn back to the Lord, the Lord says he will remember the covenant for them. He will begin to restore them. He'll bring them back. Now we're into the prophecies of the restoral. Because the promise says through multiple prophets that God intends to restore the whole house of Jacob. And part of the work of the Messiah, the return of the Messiah at the end of the ages, is to restore all of Israel. It's not just to come back for the church. It's to restore Israel. That's what the Bible says. Now, I never got taught those things. I was always left with the feeling that whatever was in the past with Israel is over and done with. Let's move on. When I discovered this as to what Moses really had said, and in the course of my lifetime, we've been watching the return of the remnant of Israel. We have watched God orchestrate for the house of Judah to return to the land. The modern messianic movement that we're all a part of are people returning and remembering Moses, going back to the commandments, learning the commandments, how to keep Sabbath, how to keep festivals, and, and, and how to tell the difference between the clean and the unclean and the holy and the profane, all the things that the law was supposed to be teaching us, all those things. And we have this, we're looking forward to returning to the land. Tourism to Israel is one of the biggest businesses in Israel. Why? Because there's people from all over the world who have heard about the God of Israel and the Messiah, and they want to go to that land they want to go to the land God promised. Now, we can't live, quite live there yet, but, but at least I want to visit it. I, I, I'm, I'm interested in it. I'm, I'm for it. I, I want to see it succeed. I want to see what God's going to do and so forth. That, it, this is what brings us to our Haftor portion that goes with the Torah portion. And that we find in Jeremiah uh, chapter 16. Now, our portion actually is going to begin at verse 19. However, I want to back up just a little bit because it, it, this needs to be in context for you, given the information I've given you about the Torah portion. Um, this business about how in the world, since Israel is scattered in all the nations, how in the world do we all come back? How, how in the world does God restore all of the things that he had before. When our, when our forefathers were in the land, how, how do we turn the tables and turn history around to where the, the, the descendants make their way back to the land? 
Well, we do so by looking here just in a few verses earlier where it says uh, it explains why we're scattered in the, in the nations, and it's a repeat of what Moses said, verse uh, 10, uh, where it says, Now it will come about when you tell this people all these words that they will say, For what reason has the Lord declared all this great calamity against us? Why, why did God say all that stuff in the Leviticus against us? And what is our iniquity or what is the sin which we have committed against the Lord our God? In other words, the question is being asked by the people that out now out in the nations, descendants of the fathers. Well, I know that's what the fathers did. And I know they, they committed those things. And the reason I am here is because of But quite honestly, God, why are you making me subject to this calamity of being scattered in the nations when, in fact, it was my ancestors that did this? Why, why, why am I stuck here? And so Jeremiah is going to answer that question. Then you are to say to them, it is because your forefathers have forsaken me. Whether you realize it or not, what your forefathers done, you are subject to it. Fathers, how you live your life is going to directly affect your descendants. If you grow up in a home where your father's a good provider, you will have adequate provision. If your father is not faithful in providing, you're going to grow up in a home that doesn't have enough. You're in need. And it carries through. And we are all subject to our previous fathers, and our sons and daughters are subject to us. It's, it's from generation to generation. The, the generation that decides to obey the Lord, your descendants will benefit from it. If you decide, I don't want to obey the Lord, your descendants are going to pay the price because of it. And so he's making mention. Remember, your forefathers did this, and here you are subject to them because of what they did. And he goes further with it, declares the Lord, and have followed other gods and served them and bowed down to them. But me, they have forsaken and have not kept my law. You know, our forefathers in, in the land of Israel violated a lot of stuff. They walked away from the Lord. They walked away from his commandments and so forth. Then verse 12, it shifts and he's back talking to us again. You too have done evil. Whoa. You mean where we're at right now, that we too also have done evil like our forefathers did when they were in the land? Yes. Even more than your forefathers. Whoa, whoa. God sees our sins, and they're even worse than our forefathers were. For behold, you are each one walking according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart without listening to me. You have the same commandments that your forefathers had. Are you paying attention to them or not? Are you listening to what I said to them? Are you listening to what that means for you? No, we're not. Religious leaders today of Christianity say, we don't need to listen to what God said to Israel and our forefathers. We, we have other instructions for you. And we're paying the price for it. And he's saying, you're doing even more sins than your forefathers did. Well, the, the end result is, woe is us. Not only are we scattered in the nations, we deserve it. That's 
going back to what Moses said in that portion about, look what's going to happen to you if you continue to behave this way. This is going to be curses upon curses upon curses, seven times this, seven times that, seven times this. This is bad. This is not going to work out. But like what Moses did at verse 40 in chapter 26, he said, there's another provision, though. The provision is if you'll confess your iniquities, if you'll turn back to my commandments, if you'll turn back to my covenant and what I said, good things will happen. I will do good things for you too. In other words, the linkage is still there. So guess what Jeremiah says in verse 14? Therefore, uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. That's him talking to us in this day. There is a possibility, and it goes right back to what Moses said. There is a possibility that if we will return to the Lord, return to the covenant, return to the teaching of Moses, return to the commandments, return to wanting to have a relationship with that God that says, God says, I'm going to orchestrate an event of bringing you back that will be even greater than when you saw your ancestors come out of Egypt. We call it the greater exodus. I'm going to bring all of you from all the different nations where you've been scattered, north, south, east, west, not just one nation like Egypt. I'm going to bring you from all of them at the same time, and I will bring you back to this land. I will bring you back to what I originally intended with you. Now we get to, and he goes on to further say, uh, that he's going to send for many fishermen to fish for them. Uh, hunters will hunt for them, uh, and he will, uh, they will, will resolve the iniquity problems and the sin problems. And then verse 19, it says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of distress, to thee the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and lies of no profit. Can man make gods for himself? Yea, they are not gods. Therefore, behold, I'm going to make them know. This time I will make them know my power, my might, and they shall know my name is the Lord. Wow. Now, when God brought our ancestors out of Egypt, the purpose of it was to make the Lord known to all the people. So you, Pharaoh, might know that I am the Lord, <laughs> that you, so that the Egyptians will know I am the Lord, so the children of Israel will know that I am the Lord, so the nations of the world will know I am the Lord. That was the reason he brought all of the Israel out of Egypt. Only this time, it's going to be even more dramatic. This time, we're going to return from exile. We're going to come back to the land. Now, as to the details of how it all works out, that's where all the other prophecies fit into it. But the thing that you should take away from this portion 
is this very positive concluding note that comes after God lays out what comes from blessing, what comes from curse. By the way, if you choose the curses, it's going to be really bad, far worse than you thought. And these are the specific things I will do to you. But even at that point, if you'll turn back, and the expectation this does take place at the end of the age, Israel returns to the Lord. That's what the prophecy says. Then God will begin to restore the whole house of Jacob and restore us. And no longer will we dwell um, in the nations. We will return to the land, what we call the messianic kingdom. And oh, by the way, the Messiah is the one who's credited with bringing us all back from the nations. And obviously he's going to bring back a whole lot of folks from the dead at the resurrection when he brings us all back and we'll be transformed from mortal to immortals and we'll dwell with him in the land. And this Torah will still be the law of the land when we're there with him. It will still be in effect. So we are transitioning right now from the lies that we've gotten from our fathers that's what that verse says. We've inherited lies. We're getting rid of those lies, and we're now turning to the truth, and we have a hope in the future. That's our portion for this week. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. If you would, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, to chapter 1. Hold your finger at verse 67, where our Brit Hadashah portion for this week will begin. As you open the Scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, once again, that we can dig into the New Testament, Lord, and that we can draw out the truths and the principles you are trying to teach us each and every week as we go through the Torah cycle. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this week. I thank you for every person who is a part of this ministry. And Father, I pray that your words this week would come alive and be powerful uh, to those who follow your word, follow your instructions. And so, Father, may it speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us in our faith on this week. We thank you for all of these blessings. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. So our Torah portion for this week, uh, normally it's a double portion uh, combined with last week's, but this week, or this year, we have a long year in which uh, these are all separated out into individual portions. So we get to focus on the portion of Bahukotai, which comes to us from Leviticus chapter 26, starting at verse 3, where it says, if you walk in my statutes, which is what the word means, Bahukotai, um, to then he will give us blessing, um, provisions, prosperity, if we walk Walk in the statutes of God. And what proceeds in Leviticus chapter 26 is a whole lot of blessings in the first uh, 14 verses, I should say, 13 verses. And then a whole lot of curses that come after that. Because if we don't walk in the statutes of God, a lot of terrible, <clears throat> terrible things will come upon us. But the passage does not end there. And beginning at verse 40 of Leviticus 26, it then talks about if we, the descendants of the ancients, confess our sins, confess our iniquity of our forefathers that we have sinned, that God will remember his covenant that he has made and he will bring us back to the land if we have humbled ourselves and we come to believe in him once again. 
This is one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture. Leviticus 26. Walking in His commandments and His statutes, there's blessings that come when you do that, but then there's a whole bunch of curses that come too, and some people have, you go and study Leviticus 26, and you can actually uh, point it to various parts of the history of Israel where they sinned, they committed iniquity according to the Lord, and judgments came upon them. And then we get to come to the end of the of the passage, talking all about the descendants of those who have made mistakes and confessing our iniquities and God remembering his covenant. What an amazing full prophecy that that is. A full and complete with a beginning, with a middle, and with an end, and it all ends with something good, something positive. That our covenant that we have with God might be remembered. It is an everlasting covenant that we have with God that was given to our, to our forefathers through the children of Israel and that we have been adopted into the spiritual family that is Israel with through our faith in Messiah and that we then get to be partakers of that covenant. What an amazing blessing that that is. And it's the Messiah that has made the way and the path by which we get to be partakers of that covenant. So, with that as a precursor here, I've brought us to Luke chapter 1. Very interesting passage of Scripture. Honestly, I don't think this passage maybe gets enough attention in the gospel message, if I'm being honest. This is the prophecy of uh, Zechariah. Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist, because we have all this instruction about the birth of John the Baptist, John the Baptist being the prophet that was the forerunner of the Messiah. He kind of came in the spirit of Elijah, that he was the one who proclaimed to the people around him that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we have this instruction having to do with the birth of John the Baptist, and that his father, Zacharias, he then was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And we have this prophecy of his words at the end of Luke chapter 1. Now listen to this prophecy that is spoken at the time of our Messiah, spoken over the forerunner of the Messiah, because this is the father of John the Baptist speaking over him after his son was born. Verse 68, Luke chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke with the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, him speaking over John the Baptist here, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
What an amazing prophecy this is. I love this passage of scripture because this is a proclamation to the, to the, over a, a, a young man who would then grow into a forerunner of the Messiah. But what is being spoken here, <coughs> excuse me, could be spoken over anyone who has come to faith in Messiah. That God has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation. This is a proclamation of what the Messiah is going to do. And that we are to, the proclamation that was given over John the Baptist, where it says to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins through the tender mercy of God, that God has visited us and to give light to those who sits in darkness and the shadow of death. This goes back to what I was talking about last week, where I was saying about how each of us have a job and a purpose, whatever station of life we're in, is to shine a light in the dark places wherever we might be, because we now have a faith and a testimony in Messiah. And that each and every one of us who have come to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to have confessed our sins and the sins of our forefathers so that we might come back into covenant with the children of Israel. That's what we teach here at this ministry, that anyone who is a part, regardless of your birth, heritage, nationality, through your faith in Messiah, you get to be partakers of the covenant made with Israel. That's just the fact. You're all, we're adopted in, you're a part of the mixed multitude. We'll figure out what tribe you're in in the kingdom later. That doesn't really matter. What does matter is that you're a part of the family of God and that the promises that were given to our father Abraham and to his son Isaac and to Jacob and the promises given through Moses and the covenant that made even through King David, they all are our covenant. It's our promises that are for us for us, our descendants after us, and that we get to come into faith in the Messiah, and that we are fulfillers of the prophecy back in Leviticus chapter 26, that we who've confessed the iniquities of our forefathers, that God remembers his covenant with us. He doesn't really, he does not leave us forsaken any longer, and he remembers the covenant that he made with our forefathers, and then hence comes into covenant with us. Now, this words of this prophecy that are spoken that I just read from the Gospel of Luke, it had that line in it. It says to remember his holy covenant. That's what God will do. Remember his covenant. And that we then being spoken over that we are to prepare before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways, sharing the knowledge of salvation with those around us. That's called evangelizing. That's called being a light to the nations. That's called being a light in the darkness. That's called, you know, sharing the word that we have learned with those who so desperately need to hear it. So much so, it's this, that each of us who have made this confession of faith, each of us who have started following the commandments of God, those whether in the Messianic movement, Christian church, Hebrew roots, Messianic Judaism, whatever, we all kind of fall into this unique category of believers in Messiah, but also keep the commandments of God to the best of our ability or the best that we've learned or been taught by, and that we are all, we all come in the spirit of John the Baptist. Let me say that again. We all come in the spirit of John the Baptist, the fact that we are to proclaim the Messiah to the world. That's what John the Baptist was, was he was a forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one that was baptizing at the Jordan River, and he was the one that made that first proclamation over the Messiah. And that when you share the gospel message, your testimony with others around you, 
that you come in the same spirit, in the same vein, and you are one that prepares the way of the Messiah. You share the knowledge of salvation with the people around you, and you give light to those who sit in darkness and who sit in the shadow of death. The people who are in despair, the people who are sad, the people who are downtrodden, that you get to be a proclaimer of hope, a proclaimer of redemption, of salvation to those that need to hear it. And we all have that purpose to bring the word to the world that so desperately needs it. We all come in this vein. When you read this word, this prophecy, mark it down in your Bible, write it down. The end of Luke chapter 1, this prophecy of the father of John the Baptist, and read it as if it's proclaimed over you, that you get to be a forerunner of the Messiah, just as John the Baptist was in the first century. That's the job. That's why we are here in the world today in exile, scattered into the nations. But this is the job that we are to do, to bring all of the captives and the lost back to the land back to God, back to a faith in the Messiah and to him who saved us. That is our job. That is our purpose. And it's a wonderful blessing that we get to do in the service of the building of his kingdom. We get to be the fulfillers of prophecy in the scripture. That's exactly what we get to do when we get to proclaim liberty to the captives, when we get to, to lift up somebody who is sad, who is sullen, downtrodden, who is living in darkness, and then you give that word and shine that light into that darkness and bring them into faith in the Lord and in the Messiah. You get to be a fulfiller of prophecy, and you do it by your actions. You do it by what you do, who you serve, the work that you do. The Messiah came in the first century, yes. But we have something that's been given to us to help us in this work and in this service. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, we have these words from the Messiah that was given to his disciples. Knowing full well that he was going to go and be with his father, but after he leaves, something will come and will help us and to teach us and to serve us in many different ways to this end so that we might fulfill the purpose that I'm talking about here, to bring the gospel message to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Verse 15 of John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide in you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you or orphans, and I will come for you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At the, uh, at the day, you will know that I am my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And who has my commandments and keeps them, and is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by me, uh, beloved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now this is all about God giving uh, through the Messiah, the Messiah giving his spirit to us that we, he lives in us, that he is manifested in us, that when we go and act, we go and speak, we go and teach that God is going to give us the same power that our Messiah had to perform miracles for those around us. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we do these things. Now, this is the thing that each and every one of us, especially in the Messianic movement, people we've interacted with here uh, with this ministry, 
for a very long time that people learn all the teachings of the, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We learn about the commandments of God. We learn about how the promises to our father Abraham and to Israel are for us as well. We identify with Israel. We keep his commandments. Sabbath on the seventh day, starting in kosher, all while maintaining the strongest of faiths in Messiah Yeshua, who is the very foundation by which we build our life after. And so we have come to learn these things. The Lord's opened our eyes to these sort of words and these instructions. And then we wonder why we go and share the exact same words to somebody else, usually a family member, and that somehow they don't believe like we do. You know, some people hear these words and they're like, all right. It's like, we're going to immediately start keeping kosher. We're going to immediately follow the, the biblical holidays, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to leave our church. We're going to do this, and we're going to, this is going to be our new life, new practices. We just bought a kitchen set and a tally and a kippah, and we're off and running, and we've now changed our entire lives with what we do. All because I've heard this message, and, and I'm on fire for the Lord. The Spirit has come upon me. This is what I'm going to do. And then you go, and you share that exact same word to your neighbor, to your friend, to your family member, and then they're like, okay. And they don't have the same reaction that you do. You're zealous for it, and then they don't, they don't see it. They don't get it. And now, whatever customs or things that you picked up, sometimes you, we can go a little bit too far and get a little too zealous with it sometimes. We always got to make sure. I teach a lot of youth. I encourage parents, you know, don't run your kids through the mud. Don't yank them out of these places and upend their entire life because they will end up resenting what you believe if what you do causes them, you know, uh, displeasure, uh, struggle. They lose all the friends. They lose, you know, their sense of identity because of what you're now learning. There's a gentle balance in the course of learning all these things. But what you have to recognize is this. Nobody, you included, ever came to be zealous for your God, for his commandments and for his word and for doing what he has instructed us to do without the help of the Holy Spirit. You didn't do it unless there was the Spirit of God stirring inside your heart. Now, for some, that same Spirit doesn't stir in their heart. You could say the exact same words you heard. You could go to the exact same sermon, the exact same uh, uh, teacher came and, and gave this one message, and then you go and you bring your friend to that exact same message. He said the exact same words. It was in the exact same place. It was the exact same temperature in the room. Everything was the same, yet they don't believe like you do. It's because the Spirit didn't move in their heart. Maybe there's something that they are, that they, they still have inside their life that's preventing them from seeing it. Maybe it's not their time yet. Maybe the Lord himself is withholding them because it's, there, there will come some later station in life for them to be in, and then they will receive the Spirit of God inside of them. And, the, and then they change their lives over to these words, these commandments and instructions. Or maybe they change it in a different way. They go into a different congregation. They practice their faith in a different way, which is how a lot of people do. Different denominations, different congregations do different things, say the Shema in a different way, whatever none of those things matter, only that somebody is walking in the faith in God. But you've got to remember that you can't sit there and force it on somebody. It's the move of the Holy Spirit that does it. We have to remember that. That's how we came into faith in the first place. So don't expect them to get it in a different way because you force feed it to them. It's the Spirit of God that's going to have to speak on their lives. And this is what we have to recognize, that this is how God works. This is how God serves. 
In John chapter 14, uh, ahead to verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things which I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. But not let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to my Father. For my Father is greater than I. This is what the Spirit does. Is the, the, the Spirit moves on us. And it does this work in our lives and that the Messiah gave this word to us and we then have to, we now go with the flow of the Spirit, not our own desires, not as the world thinks that things should should be, because that's what our, it's almost a worldly influence that makes us think, oh, if I just, if I just say it loud enough, if I just say it enough times, the same thing that I follow and I believe, then, then somebody will learn and they will follow. It's like, well, no, if you're not anointed with the gift of prophecy to speak the word, well, then you weren't meant to speak it or you weren't, you weren't supposed to say it in that way or that person's time isn't yet. It takes the move of the spirit that's going to do those things. I love this passage in John chapter 16, where it talks about exactly what, um, what the, the spirit, the helper can actually do. Verse, uh, let's begin at verse 5 of John chapter 16. But now I go away to him who sent me. This is still the Messiah talking. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him, the helper, to you. And when he has come... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Ultimately, or let me continue on. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's going to move the way the Spirit is going to move. It has the ability to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and to speak these things, but ultimately, it will, and it can guide you to truth, but ultimately it will only say, and the Spirit will only move on whatever authority comes from God. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of it. It's God's timing that does all of these things, not our timing. When it comes to us desiring to bring people back to bring people into the covenant. Now, what we ultimately are to do is just be the disciples of the Messiah. Follow him. That we should just love, love one another. That it's by the, how we love one another that people will know that we are a follower and a disciple of the Messiah. This is how we shine that light in the darkness. This is how we live a life and a testimony according to the gospel and according to his word. We have to remember... John 15, we're all in the same, uh, same area here, same uh, passage of Scripture, that it also says that God chose us. We didn't choose Him. Ultimately, we're always waiting for 
God to decide, okay, who, who is a part of his kingdom? Who is he going to bring in? We don't get to immediately look at somebody and say, no, they have to be the one that comes into the kingdom. God's going to be the one that chooses them. We don't choose for God. Let me read that specific passage here. John 15, uh, beginning at verse 9, it says this, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And thing, these things which I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be fill, full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one who lays down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit." And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Our fruit that we bear, that we produce in our lifetimes, is the fruit that will remain. And it has been made, brought to fruition because of what we have heard the Messiah say and because of what he has taught us. And then that fruit can then go, it, uh, that's the amazing thing about a piece of fruit. It can go and it can plant another tree. It can also bring nourishment to those that are around you. And that this is the thing that we are to do as his disciples, as servants. He has told us all the things that is going to do. He left this earth. He's given us our, his Holy Spirit. And that our fruit, as long as we are alive, is to remain here on earth and to teach those around us. To be an encouragement around us. We just need to just serve the Lord as he calls us to do. Not that we make our own choices and our own decisions. I talked last week about not being a, not that we have all freedom, to do whatever we want. No, we serve the Messiah. We serve God as slaves of righteousness and that we are to do his work, his service, his, his, the, the job is, the, the assignment is for us to serve him with our whole heart, to do what he has taught us and what he said, and to just live as his example as his image here on earth, to minister to those around us. That's what the job is, but it takes the move of the Holy Spirit. Do I want everybody to come and be a part of the kingdom of God? Yes, I do. I want everybody, I want all the salvation, repentance to come, to the, even the gravest sinners that are among us. It doesn't take much to turn on the TV and go see a lot of sinners out there. And it's like, I want all of them to repent. I want all of them to come into faith. I was in the, uh, in the passage of uh, Ecclesiastes not that long ago, and it was talking about how, it was talking about how that, that even those that commit wickedness, they prolong their days in their wickedness. And you can sit there and we look at people who live a wicked lifestyle and it's like, you know what, God, you know, when are you going to bring down judgment upon them? When are you going to rain fire and brimstone upon all the wicked around us? And we just watch people live in their sin, live in their iniquity, but then their lives wax long. They continue to live in that life and they get to do these things. And we sit here, we observe it and we're like, God, why haven't you brought judgment upon them yet? I'll tell you exactly why, because God has more patience than you do. God has more patience than you do because it's his hope and his patience that is waiting for those people to come into repentance. 
for them to turn their lives around. If you were God, you'd make a lot of mistakes. You'd strike judgment upon somebody rather than having the patience that God has to wait for that person to turn their life around. That's why the wicked prolong their days. It's because God is more infinitely patient than you are. And that maybe through your work, if you can go and share the gospel message effectively, maybe you could be a tool and a resource and a vessel of God to bring about that repentance. That's why we shouldn't have any fear when we see sin around us. Now, we don't partake in the sin with them. We don't bear somebody's sin and then and it becomes sin to us. But we rebuke our brother. We try to get them, we try to share with them in loving, compassion way, a compassionate way to say, look, if you walk in this lifestyle, you know, it might end badly for you. Uh, you know, if you turn your heart around, follow God, confess your sins, that you get to receive eternal life. You get to have your walk in faith and freedom rather than feeling like you're, you're, you just have to continue to walk in this life of sin that then ultimately is unfulfilling. Now, each person, each situation, you got to use the Holy Spirit to, to speak into that situation or speak into the life of that person. Because some, you need to give compassion. Some, you got to save with fear, pulling them from the fire, as the book of Jude says. So we have to pray for the discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we might walk in each of those things to be that service to God as he's called us to do. Let me uh, now go, uh, let me conclude with this, going to 1 John chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse uh, 6. And this is the closing of the book of 1 John, one of the letters, the epistles of John, where he says this in, in conclusion, that this is all about, you know, us bearing witness to God and serving him in this way. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself, and who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony of God has give, that he has given his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, that's what we all have received. Eternal life. A hope for a future. A hope that to, the, in a belief that God has the power over death. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what comes after death because we have a spirit which is a guarantee of a hope of things to come. And that there is a life and a future and a prosperity that is beyond what we can see in our physical life. Now, after we die, our spirit, wherever it goes, to heaven, to the kingdom, to the bosom of Abraham, wherever it might be, that we get to live forever. Our spirit gets to live forever. I don't know where our physical body is at that time, but our spirit lives on forever. And that maybe God will then resurrect our body, give us new bodies, and we will continue to live on. 
And then if the Lord tarries, if we have this world, once again, we still don't have to fear death because there's promises in this book that our sons and our daughters and our children and our children's children will be given blessing, that God will still bring blessing to those who believe and who trust in him to a thousand generations, which there hasn't even been a thousand generations in the world yet today, even since Abraham, or Adam for that matter, and that his blessings will prevail, that there might come a time that your children will be the ones who are the fulfillers of prophecy. Your children will be the ones that will confess the sins of their fathers and the mistakes that you've made, and then God will carry them and remember his covenant with them. There's a hope and a promise of eternal life and eternal things to come. They come from this world. Whether the Lord tarries longer and we're here on this physical world for longer and we end up seeing mortal death, you do, you or I or my children, or that there is a promise of things to come and a kingdom to come that could come soon in our lifetime or in the lifetime of our children. Either way, the Spirit is a guarantee of that hope. And that's the message that we bring to the entire world. That, the world, that, that our life, that, that what we have here in, in this physical life, that there's more to it than just this. There's more to it than living in sadness and emptiness and darkness and sin. And there's more to it than just living our life until, and doing whatever we can until we die. No, there's a hope and a future of greater things to come. And that comes through our belief in God, through our belief in his word, through our faith in, in Messiah who has given us eternal life as a present possession. Not a gift you get after you, your mortal life ends, but an eternal life that you get to live right now in service to God. What a blessing that is. And God will remember his covenant because he's faithful in that way. His words continue to teach us how faithful that he is and how he redeemed us out of the mistakes that we've made, out of the sins that we have committed, and that he has given us eternal life and he will remember his covenant that he made with people that came long before we did. That's a God worth serving. That's a God worth believing in. That he will, he's been faithful before, he will be faithful now, he will do what he says, he will show compassion to those who need it. He will also bring judgment if you decide to willfully, defiantly sin against him, but that he will be faithful to your children and your children's children should he tarry longer of whatever physical world that we have to live in. That's a hope that I can live with, I can rest easy at night, and I can kiss my children goodnight each and every day, believing in that hope and that trust. And that's what I hope to share with others. If others don't have that same faith, I encourage them to find that faith. I hope that they find that same faith, because we serve a God who is loving, caring, compassionate, who loves his creation, who is infinitely patient upon those as we continue to live our lives in whatever (laughs) mistakes and sins that we commit. Our God is so patient, giving us every opportunity to confess our sins and to make Teshuvah and return back to him and follow his words and his commandments. We're all a part of the story. We all get to be a fulfillers of prophecy in this way. What a joy that is. And I hope that encourages you this week. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this teaching, this time uh, that we can share for this gospel message that we dug into uh, for this week's Torah portion. 
Father, we count it all a blessing that we get to uh, be encouraged by your word. That, Father, I pray that you would just cause us to always remember to, to make you a priority, to open your scriptures, to study your word and your instruction because it speaks encouragement to us, because it, uh, it's for our very life, Lord, that we follow these commandments and these words and these instructions. So may we make that commitment and renew that commitment today and tomorrow and every day, Lord, just as you will remember your covenant. Father, may we confess our sins and remember the covenant that you have made with our forefathers. We love you, bless you, praise you, and thank you for this time, for this teaching. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.